Go ahead and again, you know, if you, if you disagree, uh, please do it in the comments. <laughs> uh, but uh, this uses descending armor class. Uh. Welcome to Every Edition, the tabletop role-playing game talk show that's not limited to just one game, rule set, or style of play. We cover the latest incarnation of the world's most popular role-playing game, the old-school renaissance, and everything in between and adjacent. While we don't agree on everything, we do agree that rolling dice and assuming the roles of characters in a fictional setting is the greatest hobby in the world. Hello and welcome to every edition of the Tabletop RPG Talk Show. I'm John. I'm Jesse. Today, we're going to loot the body and take a look at Hyperborea, the third edition of this uh, role-playing game from Northwind Games. In our random encounter, we're going to be talking about the top five sort of tabletop industry words and jargon that are uh, non-sort of daily use words that maybe some people might be uh, unfamiliar with. That's right. And of course, we'll have a morale check where we'll check in with the news of the week for the tabletop role-playing game industry. But first, Jesse, what's new? What's new? Uh, there is a cafe that's a sort of hobby shop, anime mm -hmm. kind of cafe near me that just opened up. Cool. And they're starting to get into more and more events and trying to get a feel for what the local community wants or needs. Mm -hmm. And they had a D&D &D night um, yeah. just, uh, just the other week. And it was insane cool it was like i volunteered to to dm if need be i came prepared with things ready to go one shot all my supplies and whatnot but i fully expected to participate in the one table that would be there right that would you know <laughs> there is going to be like all dms or something and like maybe one kid or something but uh there were like over 30 people yeah they, it, they just kept coming in and kept coming in so we kept you know, we had to, to find space, and we were, like, kind of in a corner. Um, to, but we had, we had six tables. Um, it was fantastic. They're going to do another one this month. And uh, I think it'll be just like a regular monthly D&D &D thing that might even get more frequent than that. Supporting the local love of, of tabletop role-playing games, not just uh, the, the, the global love. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, good to, it's good to see that there's uh, some good local events. I don't mind. My uh, my son went to that gaming night. Mm. I did not because I didn't want to cramp his style. <laughs> so uh, and I'm sure I just cramped his style by <laughs> saying that. So there you go. So John, what's new? Well, so being on the East Coast, uh, I was keeping track of what was happening over in San Diego recently with San Diego Comic Con, and uh, specifically, uh, you know, different different news, uh, yeah, yeah. somewhat related to to tabletop role playing games and stuff. I uh, was paying particular attention to. What was happening with Masters of the Universe toys? Sure, <laughs> um, it's another area where I'm a fan and a, and a big nerd. Uh, and uh, so the uh, the one piece of news that has the Masters of the Universe community in a kerfuffle is that Grizzlore will not be released in retail, but will only be available through Mattel Creations, which means that it will be bought by bots. Oh, just online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you will have to pay scalper prices for. Grizzlore, and it's the <laughs> second time Grizzlore is being released, 
as um, Mattel Creations exclusive. So if you're listening, Mattel, knock it off. <laughs> I thought you liked money. Like, <laughs> people want to buy this action figure, and you're not letting them. And instead, you're rewarding people with bots and scalpers. Sure. Stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it. Um, you know, do a, do an unlimited, uh, you know, like a limited time, unlimited, you know, sign up, buy as many figs as you want. It's the windows open for two or three days and then close it. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. fine. Give people time. But let everybody get, you know, come on. <laughs> you can do this, Mattel. You're not new at making toys like. But so anyway, that, I, I was having a good time. And, and if you're in the if you're in the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe uh fandom there were definitely lots of people upset i, I enjoy i enjoy i don't participate but i enjoy seeing people get it's it's very similar to the like um owl bear thing yeah yeah right? with the dnd movie with the dnd movie trailer uh our grizzlore was our owl bear <laughs> moment uh for those sticking who- on san diego comic-con yeah uh, I- i've been to new york comic-con um many many times and yeah. a lot of times year after year and every year it's the same Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking at San Diego Comic Con, it's it's always this big, massive event where all these new things are spoiled, and it seems like a lot cooler than New York Comic Con. <laughs> and it sucks because there's a lot of like Japanese uh, games and things like that that I follow. Yeah. And because it's on the West Coast, it's way easier for them to get to. Yeah. Uh, compared to the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, so so they'll come to the United States, but they'll stay in like L.A. and San Diego. And then they'll go back to Japan, and it's like, no, come to the East Coast. Right, right. Yeah, New York Comic Con hasn't reached uh, the same level as yeah. the, the San Diego Comic Con. I remember uh, New York Comic Con used to be free for teachers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was pretty great if you were in it, the world of education at all. <laughs> uh, and they, when the popularity of San Diego Comic Con started to take off, that was one of the first things New York Comic Con did was they were like, we're shutting down the free teachers because that's... <laughs> Uh, that's money that uh, we could be making at the door, and they were and they were selling out. So yeah. you know, it's I guess they were right to do that. It it wasn't cool because uh, <laughs> I was going for free for a long time. But whatever, that's all right. All right, it's time for a morale check. Our morale check is where we take a look at new RPG news of the times and things going on in our industry. Uh, of late, from Wizards of the Coast, we have a new Unearthed Arcana called mm-hmm. Wonders of the Multiverse. Cool. New stuff from uh, Planescape. Uh, there's a new playable race called the Glitchling, mm-hmm. which is very, very reminiscent of Modrones, mm-hmm. which are uh, various sided type of uh, little robot people, mm-hmm. like tri-drones, duo-drones. They look like dice, kind of. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, if you've played Out of the Abyss, you would be very familiar with these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some new backgrounds uh, related to giants and this interesting cartomancer, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, turns you into uh, Gambit, I guess, from... From, <laughs> from the X-Men. The X-Men, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and interestingly, Sigil... Mm-hmm. is named, mentioned by name specifically. Yep. And you said it at the top of this. I mean, this is all hinting at, at Planescape. Yeah. Um, whether it's the Plane of Law, the Outlands, the mentioning of Sigil, uh, the, the the world of Mechanus, yep. right, where the, where the Mondrons are from. Like, all this is, is reeking of Planescapes. And, I mean, we said it when, when the Spelljammer was first revealed. Mm-hmm. 
this is how they're thinking about releasing new settings and new new campaign settings and stuff. So I think as, assuming that Spelljammer is a hit. Yep. And all signs point to it being it likely one. Will. <laughs> uh, we're going to get a similar set with an adventure book, a player's book, and a monster manual for Planescape. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I'm, I'm guessing at the beginning of uh, the beginning of 2023. And this is likely a test for that. Yep. Sort of dip your toes in the water for new players who may not be familiar with it. Yep. Just to test it out. And they've been doing stuff for Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. They did stuff before that for. You know, paved the way for Spelljammer. That's how yep. the new Spelljammer was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, definitely take a look at this um, Unearthed Arcana and start getting excited for Planescape. Mm-hmm. All right. In other news, uh, Necromancer Games uh, and the, their parent company, Frog God Games, uh, they are releasing uh, new books and products for old school essentials. So if you're like me and you're paying attention to old school essentials and you're excited about old school essentials, uh, Necromancer Games is releasing... Their first book, uh, which is Whisper and Venom. Mm. Uh, they're releasing it for 5th edition and for Old School Essentials. Um, it's it's uh, kickstarting, uh, but then I'm sure it'll be more readily available yeah, yeah. after that. They are. It looks like um, Necromancer Games and Frog God Games is no longer supporting uh, Matt Finch's Swords and Wizardry game. Um, so if you want to continue to support... Uh, Matt Finch and Swords and Wizardry, you're going to be looking for Mythmere Games, which mm. is Matt Finch's Swords and Wizardry game company. Um, I love Swords and Wizardry. I think it's great if you want to play, uh, you know, OE Dungeons and Dragons, if yep. you want to experience the original version of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but I also love old school essentials, and there is a lot of energy and movement around old school essentials. Lots of energy uh, during Zine Month. Um, you know, zine lots, Quest. lots of energies during Z- Zine Quest, Zemo, all that stuff. Yeah. Lots of zines, lots of support. It really is where the OSR seems to be coalescing at this moment, um, and so it makes sense. I mean, Frog God Games is a business. Yep, that's where the energy and, and where the people are and where the money is. So. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's one door is opening, one door is closing. But if you still uh, if you you know if you still want to be supporting Matt Finch and Swords and Wizardry tech uh, Swords and Wizardry, check out Mythmere Games. That's where you can find uh, the continuing support for that. I'm sure there's going to be a, a new Swords and Wizardry core book coming out soon. Yeah, likely. Paizo is celebrating 15 years. 15 years. 15 years. Jeez. With a re-release of their Crown of the Kobold King saga. Boom. I, I've played through this. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, one of the first times I played D&D uh, back in 3.5. Okay, uh, great. Uh, my DM had used this. Cool. Um, so they're doing a new hardcover that'll be updated for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. For anybody that plays Pathfinder at Pathfinder 2.0, uh, I'm sure it's likely easily uh, transported into 5th Edition as well, if you can't find that. Uh, I'm I'm sure yeah. somebody has already done it. Yeah. But uh, but it's a new re-release with a new hardcover, so something new to collect. Yeah. When I had a recent experience, I got a chance to try Pathfinder uh, Second Edition for the first time at Origins, and it has this. Uh, what what makes it distinct from Fifth Edition and from other versions of fantasy role playing games is it has this three action system. Mm. 
right? And so you have three actions every turn, and you can spend each of those actions in different ways, and sometimes a spell will cost you two actions, or you can take a feat to have something that would cost you two actions only cost you one. Mm. That's the economy of the game, right? Um, it feels very magic-y sure. in that way, right? And so um, if you want a little bit more of that kind of mechanism, uh, check out Second Edition Pathfinder. Um, it is a little bit more rules heavy, and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to use jargon right now that we're going to be <laughs> yeah. that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. is a little bit it is a little bit more rules heavy, uh, I think, than Fifth Edition. A little bit more, um, a little bit more crunchy. Yeah, a little crunchy. Right. Does have uh, a lot of customization. Does have a lot of customization, which has always been the hallmark mm-hmm. uh, for Pathfinder. And finally, if you missed uh, the Kickstarter for Call of Cthulhu Classics, which is the re-release. Uh, of I believe the second edition of Call of Cthulhu Um, they are going to be available uh, with two upcoming opportunities if you happen to be at Gen Con Mm. check out the Chaosium booth and they're going to have some copies of Call of Cthulhu classics there and then they're also going to have some available on the Chaosium website Uh, and once they're gone though they're gone that's it for uh, Call of Cthulhu classics Um, it was a great Kickstarter Mm. Uh, great to have that stuff uh, back in print, nice, uh, big, fat um, box set with uh, lots of supplements and things. I can remember this was the this was the box set that my dad had. Nice. Uh, and so when I was a kid, this was definitely something I was pouring over. Uh, it's um, you know I have I have pieces of it, sure, uh, but not actually a nice condition box set. So it was a, a, a no brainer uh, for me to to jump on that Kickstarter. But if you missed it, Call of Cthulhu Classics, uh, check out chaosium website or if you're lucky enough to be at gen con uh you can pick it up at the chaosium booth riders of rohan gondor calls for your aid (laughs) we every edition we have a new goal a new goal on the horizon that we're setting our sights on the road to a thousand subs subscribers on YouTube. If you're from the nineties the call might be regulators mount up We uh, yeah, we had a, a goal initially of a uh, hundred subs, and we sort of blew past that. Yep, uh, that was fantastic, and we really appreciate everybody who chooses to spend their time watching and listening to our podcast. It's really exciting and fun to make, and we love sharing this this industry with everybody. Um, but the next big milestone is a thousand subs. And it'll really give us the ability to to take every edition to the next. You know, the next point, the mm. next gr- growth point for us. Uh, so help us out. Spread the word. EveryEditionRPG.com. That's our website where you can find links to all of our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also find links to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And, uh, of course, thanks to everyone who is watching on uh, YouTube. Mm. Make sure to subscribe. Hit the like button. Uh, drop a comment. Let us know uh, how you feel about the show or, or, or how you feel about this particular episode, how mm. it's going. Uh, we really, really appreciate anything that you can do to help uh, spread the word and help us continue to share our love and enthusiasm for the tabletop role-playing game industry and um, for playing tabletop role-playing games and collecting tabletop mm-hmm. uh, role-playing games. So thank you. All right, it's time for a random encounter. Today's Random Encounter, we are going to be talking about jargon, tabletop RPG vocabulary words, (laughs) 
Uh, words. Grab that, your notebooks. Grab your notebooks, everybody. <laughs> words that we probably use too much mm. or all the time. Uh, that maybe if you're a newer player, um, you're confused about. Mm. And so we wanted to be welcoming and sort of talk about some of the maybe more confusing or esoteric words that are out there that that we use all the time. But before we do that, um, Jesse, we're both wearing red shirts. <laughs> This, this was not planned. This was not planned. What is this all about? <laughs> we're, uh, I, I feel like we're... Feeling we're, the summer heat, you know? Yeah, or we're going to be on an away mission and not come back. What? Uh, we'll have to... Bring well, me my red shirt. We're going to need to coordinate, I think, maybe, <laughs> next time. But uh, but at any rate, our, our first... Let's take a look at our first uh, word for today, um, which I know I'm guilty of using all the time. Mm. OSR. So OSR... Uh, stands for old school renaissance. It could also stand for old school uh, revival mm. or old school revolution, whatever you know uh, way you want to tra- old school transform that R word. Yeah, it's yeah. old school tabletop role playing. So what does old school mean? What is it? Right. So what is it? It's a game that's going to harken back to uh, an earlier version of role playing, um, like. First edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mm. or uh, or basic edition Dungeons and Dragons, or original edition Dunge- Dungeons and Dragons. So D and D from the seventies and eighties, um, primarily. Um, but OSR can also uh, mean you know uh, other other types of games, not just Dungeons and Dragons. So um, the, the the distinguishing feature though of an osr game is that it has some kind of feel Mm. uh that it that it really does sort of bring back nostalgia for those people that have uh played those games back in the 70s and 80s and maybe were kids uh back then or tries to evoke that feeling in newer players so it definitely has some nostalgia I think about it. there's there's a couple bits of OSR that really hit home with me. You know, mm-hmm. I I was not alive in the 70s for mm-hmm. D&D. Uh, so that nostalgia like doesn't hit me quite the same way, but when I think OSR, I think of um, the artwork. Mm-hmm. Like the artwork from Dungeon Crawl Classics that is very reminiscent of the original D&D artwork mm-hmm. from, you know, the Monster manu- Manual or whatever. Uh, uh, also the the rule set. Mm-hmm. It might use Thaco or descending mm-hmm. armor class, or it may use uh, a, a system where races are the same as classes, mm-hmm. uh, or there's very few options in mm-hmm. customization, uh, or it uses another word that we're going to talk about later uh, <laughs> that is more rules heavy. Right, um, right, right. So there's there's a very particular feel that the game would have. I think one of the other characteristics of an OSR game would be the idea that it is potentially lethal right sure your character is not guaranteed to survive Mm -hmm. right um i think one of the major complaints that people have against fifth edition is often that they don't feel like their characters are actually threatened in any real way because there's such an emphasis on balance an osr game is often not going to care about balance, right? So I'll give you a classic example of like an OSR adventure. An OSR adventure would have a lich mm. or a dragon or something Vecna. like that. Right. And <laughs> in it, 
and not care that you're a first level character. Your job, if you encounter that thing, is to run. <laughs> and if you're not smart enough to realize that, then you're going to learn the hard way, yeah, right? Yeah. So there's this kind of like uh, mentality to uh, to it. Whereas again, if you're playing a fifth edition adventure, um, you know that everything's perfectly balanced. Maybe, right? One of the great ways that you can mess with 5th edition, I think, is to unbalance yeah, it. Yeah, imbalance right? it. Throw, throw your players off. Um, you know, uh, if you... Why if, does it take so many hits for that kobold to die? Right. <laughs> You'll find out. That's right. Yeah, throw, <laughs> throw your players off. Don't make it so predictable. Yeah. Um, but the OSR, right, uh, has a little bit more emphasis on lethality, uh, mm. of, of it being lethal. Um, and uh, it's a, a little bit more... Uh, a, a little bit l less emphasis, a lot less emphasis on balance. I think that comes from also the customization. Um, if you spend an hour or two with a group of people creating a character in 5th edition for them, they go through their race, their class, their background, their, all their stats and everything. And then you go into your first adventure and you die, you've now wasted all that time. Yep. In an OSR game, you can roll up a character fairly quickly mm -hmm. and get sort of right back into the game. Right. Yep. So, yeah, less, less emphasis on, on character customization, more emphasis on... I would say the other thing, too, less emphasis on uh, storytelling. Hmm. I think, what not to say that there isn't storytelling, but to me, an OSR game is going to feel a little bit more like you're playing a game. I don't know how else to you're say You're in a dungeon. You're, you're right, know, yeah. Playing it's Dungeons and Dragons. More so. of a dungeon crawl, yeah. uh, you know, type of, type of experience, but it's less about... Um, I don't know. And maybe this is different for different people, but I, I tend to feel like an OSR game is going to feel more like a game and less about this sort of shared uh, narrative. Sure. Um, so, and I'm sure, please push back against that in the comments if yep. you, if you uh, agree or disagree um, with that particular statement. That's my sort of, sort of take on OSR. Mm. Um, all right, so what's our number two word? Number two, crunch. Crunch. That's such a that's such a harsh word mm -hmm. for such a harsh mechanic. <laughs> uh, I think one of the main differences between an OSR game and a game like Fifth Edition, mm -hmm. a more modern game, even in some of the other games that aren't just Dungeons and Dragons, yep. is crunch. Crunch means rules heavy, right? Math heavy, right? A lot of sitting down, poring over a book, mm -hmm. flipping pages, doing math. Adding a bunch, subtracting a bunch to your role. Checking a table. Looking a, at a bunch a, of tables. A matrix. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, Again, less on the actual narrative. There's been, at least in the 5th edition marketplace, the idea of like sort of having your head up mm -hmm. and telling a story together and looking at your character sheet or books only when it's absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, with Crunch or a crunchy game, like maybe Pathfinder, you might have to look up things a little bit more because their books are tomes and no one person could ever know everything. Mm -hmm. uh, or you might, in like Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, roll for a spell uh, or use some sort of fighter feature where you have to look at a table or roll on a table to see what happens. I'd never heard that before. You mentioned a heads up versus sort of a heads down mm. type of experience that... Uh, Head head down is going to be rules heavy. It's yep. going to be crunchy. It's going to you're looking stuff up. That's interesting. And the mm -hmm. and the the rules lighter right uh, is going to be oh my head is up. Yeah. That's, I never I never heard that before. But that that makes a lot of sense to me. I, sometimes I want to play a game where I'm I guess heads down. Yeah. Like I don't yeah yeah. I don't mind crunch. 
Um, when we talked about the Marvel uh, role-playing game playtest, I was surprised at the amount of crunch, how rules-heavy it was, how much math there was, and how much new players tolerated it. Yeah. So we talked about that a little bit in that in that context. Um, so crunch isn't uh, necessarily a bad thing, but it is a certain kind of game. It has a time and a place. Right. And that could be different for different people. Right. One other context where we might use the word crunch or where people in, in the tabletop role-playing game industry and fans might use the word crunch is when referring to specific types of books or releases – a crunchy book is going to be a book that has a lot of stats. Sure. So like a lot of monster stats or a lot of like weapon stats or weapon stats or spells, right? A lot of uh, a lot of game mechanics, mm. right? Uh, to it. And so if if a book is described as being crunchy, it's going to have a lot of stats for the game, mm. right? Uh, well, that brings us to our next word, our third word, which is the opposite of crunch, yep. which is fluff. So oftentimes you might hear a book described, a book that's not crunchy might be fluffy, mm. right? It might be a book that's filled with fluff. And that means ultimately it is filled with lots of narrative. Yeah, like lore. Lore, mm. ideas, world building, um, stories, descriptions, all that kind of stuff is going to end up being fluff. And so, um, you know, when we're talking about a particular book, Sometimes we'll talk about sort of the balance between how much crunch, how much fluff, right? And uh, for me anyway, right, uh, a good role-playing book is going to have a, a nice equilibrium of both. Sure. You don't want just fluff because then it's just a storybook. Mm -hmm. But you don't just want crunch because then you don't have any context and you don't have any sort of, you know, pulling on the uh, on the imagination or, or uh, you know, some... some uh, narrative help and some yeah, yeah. and some ideas for how to use things. Um, so that's when I think about uh, fluff. I think about it in conjunction with crunch and uh, sort of like having the right balance in a game book. I think um, personally, I would rather uh, the extremes. Mm -hmm. I would rather a book be all crunch and all fluff. Really? Conversely, oh. because. As someone who consumes a lot of fifth edition and D and D content, mm -hmm. um, it, there's a, there's always a big question of, you know, I'm a player. Should I get this new book, mm -hmm. or will my DM get it? Right. Uh, you know, are there options in it for me? And most of the time now, the books are maybe not evenly split between them, mm -hmm. but they have a lot of story or a campaign, like the Strixhaven book. But they also have character options like backgrounds or mm -hmm. spells or whatnot. I think I'd rather them just be completely separate and have the space for a fluff book that a DM can get to world build mm -hmm. or whatnot, or like like old uh, uh, like fighter or ranger sort of specific yeah, yeah, yeah. supplements that are player supplements. They can be balanced between mm -hmm. the two. Um, or just a player specific, hey, this is all of the different weapons in the game, and here's a new compendium of weapons or monster manual or whatever. So I don't I don't think then I'd ever get a a book that is all fluff. Okay. Right, cuz that uh, I think I'd I'd get the stat book. Yes, then, definitely. Right? A, a book that was crunchy, right? I'd get I would get that and then it would be my responsibility to come up with the yeah, yeah. with the fluff and uh, the, with the the lore. 
Um, it, it made me think, you know, too, one of the appeals, I think, of a game like uh, Morkborg is that it actually has both of them are kind of low. Yeah. Like it <laughs> not much of either. Yeah, it's it's not very crunchy because there's not a lot of stats yeah. and it's very rules light. But at the same time, it also doesn't give you a lot of fluff. Mm-hmm. Like it really just gives you bullet points. Um, and that seems to be a trend uh, in tabletop role-playing right now is actually low fluff and low yeah. crunch. Easy to get into, um, easy to get out of. Yeah, and and, and pick up and go, yeah. right? Not a lot of prep. Um, it does seem like uh, that is, in some ways, the future of role-playing is mm. actually both of these things dialed down, <laughs> um, which is interesting because you'd think it's, well, it would be one or the other, but yeah, actually, yeah. no. Um, <laughs> that, you know, something that, that doesn't have a lot of stats and also doesn't have a lot of lore is going to be easier for me to just pick up and go and then... I can fill in the blanks mm-hmm. for the missing fluff, for the missing lore, and I can find that I don't actually need lots of rules, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the that seems to be the direction that like uh, a game like Morkborg or a game like Mazes uh, from Ninth Level Games is kind of going. So our fourth word probably should have been our third word well. because it's uh, <laughs> third party. This this gets ah. thrown around. Not just in the tabletop industry, yeah. but a lot of different industries talk about third-party things or retro clones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is everything that's not the main, the the main pillars of our industry. The main publisher. The yeah. main publisher is Wizards of the Coast. Right. This is this is you know whatever yeah. you, whatever you want to say about it. They're they're a main pillar. You yeah. could say Paizo as well. Yep. Artalsorian um, for Artalsorian. Yeah. Um, a third party would be somebody coming in as an independent publisher, um, making content for that game. Right. Um, if if you know Goodman Games wants to make a fifth edition supplement, they are then a third party publisher of a fifth edition supplement. But they are a first party publisher <laughs> of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Exactly. Right? Um, Right, so that's right. That's where things can can kind of get confusing. The thing about a, a third party is that for a third party to exist, something like the open gaming license has yes. to exist, right? So, um, Morkborg, which I mentioned before, mm-hmm. has uh, an an open license, right? And so there are lots of people publishing Morkborg compatible games and adventures and things using their open license, creating their own fluff. Creating, right, and their own crunch. Yeah, and their own crunch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, for the OSR. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we can, we'll use all the words once we get <laughs> But um, so that's, and you mentioned the word retro clone too. Yeah, yeah. A retro clone is a third party game that uh, is essentially a reinterpretation or a reintroduction of an older rule set mm. using an open gaming license as sort of a loophole yep. to kind of release it. So the best example right now, I think, of a, of a retro clone is something like Old School Essentials. Mm. So Old School Essentials is put out by Necrotic Gnome, and it is the BX rules, the basic and expert rules of Dungeons & Dragons from uh, the late 70s and into the 80s. Um, but it is using the modern open gaming license from Wizards of the Coast in order to reintroduce those rules and republish those rules so that they are readily available for a new audience. 
Um, and so a retro clone is going to take some liberties sometimes to offer something new or reinterpret something. But uh, by its very nature, it's also going to reintroduce and stick pretty close mm-hmm. to um, the the original rules of a previous system. It's also a good way for them to take the original rules and start making new additions for them. Yep. Um, so you can have sort of the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with prices of older books um, sort of skyrocketing. Yep. Uh, it's basically impossible for a new player to be like, oh, well, I want to go find out what happened in you know second edition D and D. Right. It's it's way easier to find a third party that's making some sort of content for it. Yep. And I've charted out just about every edition. I think at this point, actually, every edition of Dungeons and Dragons has had a retro clone or has currently a retro clone uh, in place that that it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be looking at for the or loot the body. We're going to be looking at Hyperborea, which is a OSR. Uh, third-party retro clone um, of first edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And so it's uh, it offers something new, but at the same time, it really is reminiscent of the first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons version of the game. So mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit. Our fifth word, hex crawl. Hex crawl. All right. So a hex crawl is a very specific kind of adventure. If you imagine a hexagonal map, mm-hmm. right, um, where all the different hexes are sort of interlocked. Um, basically, what a hex crawl is, is an open world sandbox mm-hmm. kind of adventure where you would put the map down on the table and you would let your player characters kind of choose what hex they're going to be traveling to and, and, in, and in what order they're yep. going to travel through those hexes. And you have different encounters or different adventures uh, planned for each of those hexes. What order they happen in is going to be completely up to the players and how they decide to travel and traverse your map. But then you've got uh, some idea of what's going to happen or what the possibilities yeah, yeah. are for um, for each of those hexes. Hex crawls are coming back mm. in popularity, and it seems like in the last couple of years that there's been more of an emphasis on uh, hex crawl. I think people like the freedom as players, but I think... Uh, DMs and GMs also like the freedom to be a little bit more loose and unpredictable mm-hmm. um, with uh, with what's going to happen at the table. And again, it's a break from, you know, we've had almost 10 years now of lots of campaign yes. books. Epic campaigns. Epic campaigns in 5th edition. And I think the hex crawl is the anti-epic mm. campaign um, in a lot of ways. And so that's why people are interested in it. They, they want to do something different yeah. than... Um, than those fifth edition campaign books, and so it's also uh, a good for maybe a group of people that is too large for any one group. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you have twelve or thirteen players, and only at one time, maybe once a month or whatever, six or seven people can show up for whatever reason. Yep, uh, it's really good for sort of drop in, drop out. Yep, like that, um, where there's basically no coherent story. Right, it's just sort of. A new episode begins, and yeah. we take care of the bad guy or the bad situation that the DM creates, and then the episode ends, and then next time it's slightly different. Well, and the fun, right, is you, as the game master, you populate your hexes. Exactly. Right? And uh, you don't, ha- like you said, you don't have to have a cohesive story. Rather than trying to, like, rack your brain about uh, writing a cohesive story or 
memorizing and digesting somebody else's epic campaign cohesive story have little sort of one shots almost or little encounters things that oh i found this monster that i want i want to use well bloop they're in this one hex (laughs) oh i found this one magic item that i want to use well bloop it's in this hex and then like make you know make encounters and adventures for each of them it's really an exciting if you've never done a hex crawl before or never run run it uh give it a shot Mm. it's real i think it's really fun um and then there's a little bit more emphasis then on travel, mm-hmm. right? It's um, you know it, it you know so you might want to you might want to have some rules for travel, right? For uh, you know keeping random watch and, and random encounters and and that kind of stuff and everything. Um, but it's a uh, it, like I said, it's a it's a, a type of of uh, tabletop role playing adventure that's been around since the beginning, uh, but it seems to be coming back in vogue, right? Becoming cool again as the anti-epic campaign our group's new campaign mm-hmm. is essentially a sandbox sort of hex crawl adventure yeah because we had just come off the back of an epic campaign where we right. got the level 17 and we kind of wanted a little change of pace and we got into my uh world that i created and it's impossible to just create everything in a world right uh you're gonna want new things and you're gonna want to explore places so this is a good excuse for me to sort of push the characters uh, to a specific place and myself learn what might live there mm-hmm. and sort of create it as we go. Yep. And you actually then do end up, like, you create the story mm. together. It's not that you're not, right, involved in a narrative or, or cooperative storytelling. It's just, uh, it's more it's more shared. Yeah. Right, it feels It's very like. personal. Yeah. Yeah, and you really, you almost kind of put your own... As players and GMs, you kind of find your own uh, story together that mm-hmm. way, right? Uh, by having a little bit more choice. Yeah, it's it's I, I, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's it is definitely the, you know, if you're if you're a little burnt out on campaign books, <laughs> um, give a hex crawl a try. Um, yeah, with the upcoming spell jammer, hex crawl might be even more viable. Oh, there you go. Hex crawl across planes. Hex crawl across the planes, <laughs> right? Well, and it is with uh, with Radiant Citadel book mm. being, you know, like w- lots of one shots mm. and stuff. You could set up those adventures to be a hex crawl. Um, you'd have a little bit of trouble. Like again, there's that balance issue. Yep, yep. Right there, there is that balance issue where uh, all of those Radiant Citadel adventures are meant for a specific level, mm-hmm. um, and that. That doesn't play play nice, right? Like, because if I want to go from what's supposed to be the level one adventure to the level fourteen adventure, um, I'm not gonna. It's it, you know, it's not gonna be the same way. So, in some ways, kind of to bring this all full circle, a hex crawl does seem to work best with a more OSR kind of game yep. that doesn't care about balance as much, mm. right? Because again, that emphasis on balance is going to restrict, it feels like, your ability to kind of go wherever you want. And as a DM, you'd, you'd have to spend more time trying to balance things than creating. Yeah. it's a, I'll throw out one more sort of bo- bonus word here. It's a little bit more railroady or on, ra- <laughs> on rails, yeah. right? Because you have to, if you're, if you're all about balance, well, then you have to go from the first level adventure to the second level adventure. Without veering. Yeah. Right, to the third level adventure. Yeah. And so it's on rails, it's railroady. Um, so you might hear that term too, like, oh, this was a really railroady adventure. Mm-hmm. I had to do this thing, and then I had to do this thing, 
And then really I had to do this thing. So there wasn't, you, there's sort of the, um, there's not a lot of choice. Yeah. What tabletop jargon did we miss? I'm sure there are plenty of words <laughs> that don't make any sense to anybody that's not a nerd for tabletop RPGs. Um, be sure to use them all in, coming up in, in just a couple minutes. Yeah. If you give me a second. <laughs> Uh, any words confuse you? Do you disagree with any of the thoughts that we had on our definitions? Let us know in the comments down below. And of course, you could always send us an email over at everyeditionrpg at gmail.com. You can also find links to all of our socials at everyedition.com. At the end of the day, we're not experts. We really are just fans. Feel free to disagree with us. We probably got something wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do it in the comments, though, because that, <laughs> that ends up helping the show. We, we appreciate that. So um, let's have a discussion. Do, uh, you know, I'm sure I got something wrong about I'm the sure. OSR, right? Please, somebody, uh, you know, bring me to task. Uh, <laughs> RPG at gmail.com. Uh, or you can find links, like Jesse said, to all of our socials at everyeditionrpg.com. All right, it's time to loot the body. Today's Loot the Body, we are taking a look at the third edition of Hyperborea, mm. Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers role-playing game put out by Northwind Games. Um, so I am new to Hyperborea. Yep. Uh, this just came in the mail. Uh, I kick-started this third edition uh, book, which is actually broken up into two books. There's mm. a player manual and a referee manual. What we're, what we're showing, if you're watching on YouTube is the player uh, manual. But this is an OSR retro clone. I'm keep, I'm, see if you did your homework, right? <laughs> an OSR uh, retro clone of AD&D. Um, but like a lot of retro clones, it does offer its own take and it does offer something new. So it's not just uh, AD&D without some, offering something new. Mm -hmm. um, so what does this offer that's new? I'm going to talk about hyperborea thinking about it uh the good the bad and the interesting i'm not i'm not going to say it's ugly because it's actually not ugly it's interesting so the good the bad and the interesting sure so start with the good the reason to pick up this book is the classes mm. so there are the four core classes right there's the fighter the magician the cleric and the thief mm. okay but then the way they handle multi-classing and the way they handle uh, sort of uh, customization is having lots of subclasses. Oh, yeah. Okay? And so there's a ton of options for fighter subclasses. There's a ton of options for magician, for thief, and for cleric subclasses. Um, just to name a, uh, one that stuck out for me, in the magician subclass, there's a pyromancer, an illusionist, a necromancer. Those are all classes mm. that you can play. But the one that's sort of new is uh, a cryomancer, uh, someone who deals in ice. <laughs> um, and so you could play, uh, the idea of playing a cryomancer uh, for 10 levels worth of play, you know, plus, um, to me sounds really interesting. Yeah, you really specialize. Really specialize mm -hmm. and really get into it. So that, that to me is really cool. So right off the bat, I think the thing that's appealing about this is the classes. So uh, we, a couple episodes ago, we had talked about uh, old school essentials mm -hmm. and we've made characters in them mm -hmm. and there's always this sort of you know if you're going back to an old school game you're going to be 
curtailed a little bit. Limited. You're going to be limited in mm -hmm. your customization. Mm -hmm. I am someone who really, really likes customization because mm -hmm. I like getting into my character if I'm playing. Yep. Um, and this sort of handles two birds with one stone. Yep. You get to customize your character while playing in an old school uh, sort of environment mm -hmm. while also taking care of the headaches that come with multi-classing. Right. And you get some pretty interesting multi-classes, classes or subclasses mm -hmm. in this book. Um, for the for the thief, there's a, uh, a lead, ledger mainist. I don't know if yeah. I'm saying that word right. Uh, <laughs> but it's a thief that deals sort of with sorcery and thaumaturgy. Okay. So it deals with, you know, sound and, and sort of uh, uh, misdirection and things mm -hmm. like that, which I really like. And there's there's a, a whole slew of these blends of, of classes that really are are different than fifth edition. They're yeah. different than any Pathfinder thing. Uh, I, I really they're really interesting. Yeah. So for that one in particular, rather than having to multi class in thief and illusionist, yeah. right? You would play what is this called again? Le Ledger Ledgered Mainist. Ledgered Mainist. <laughs> you would play that class, and then you don't have to worry about the rigmarole of multi-classing. You've got a class that's laid out yeah. uh, for you, and you can you can uh, follow along. So it, it brilliantly, I think, takes care of some of the headaches of multi-classing mm -hmm. um, and lots of options. Uh, so that's the good. Yeah, that's the good of this of this game. All right, here's the bad. <laughs> And go ahead and go ahead and again, you know, if you, if you disagree, uh, please do it in the comments. Uh, but uh, this uses descending armor class. Uh. It uses it uses an attack matrix. Uh, is pre Thaco, right? So Thaco was an attempt to try to take an attack matrix and make it a single number so that it would be something that you could kind of more easily do quickly or in your head. Mm. This uh, this doesn't even use Thaco. It has an attack. Matrix, so you have to look on the thing and go. Duh, 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 duh. Here's my thing. Did I hit? Um, this is crunchy. It's cr it, it, it. Yes, Jesse. Thank you. <laughs> it is rules heavy. It is crunchy. Um, it is a head down. Yep. Right, rather than head up. And I think the truth is, it's just for the sake of nostalgia. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't actually. Um, to me, descending armor class doesn't have any value except nostalgia i played in a game recently of of second edition dungeons and dragons and i loved using thaco hmm. it was so much fun to kind of remember and go back and do that but the truth is descending armor class is not going to be new gamer friendly not at all right so uh, I, I jokingly uh, put in our show notes for this. I said, <laughs> this is for the, the discerning grognard, right? Like, that, to me, that is what Hyperborea is. It's like, I'm a, I'm a grognard of good taste. Yeah, okay, but you're still a grognard. And, yeah, yeah. And it's only, you're only going to sell this book to older players. So uh, it's, it's fine. Yeah. That's okay. We're yeah. allowed to have that sort of thing in the industry. Totally. But it's, it's something to note that you're likely going to have a difficult time if you're running this for any new players or players that may be new to Descending Armor class um, explaining this versus Ascending yep. and why you're using it at all. <laughs> well, and the truth is, the thing that's brilliant about Old School Essentials and why there's so much energy and weight behind it is because it gives you both, mm -hmm. right? Old School Essentials is 
brilliant because it gives you both descending armor class and ascending armor class. Yep. Right. So you can do whatever's right for your table in the same book, and that way it can be both uh, nostalgic but also new new player friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, at the end of the day, I think that's a bad. Um, that's me thinking about a broader swath of role playing. I understand that this is obviously a, a, a niche product, yeah, yeah. which, by the way, includes me. Right? <laughs> like I did buy this, and I'm happy I bought it. I yeah, love, it's a great game. Um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, descending armor class, time and place. It's mm. not. It's not. It's not what I want. Uh, most of the time. All right, so last uh, final thoughts then here. What's interesting? Yeah, interesting. Right? What's interesting here is the treatment of uh, races in uh, in this game. So it's only humans. Mm. Interesting, right? I love one of the best pieces of fluff <laughs> at the beginning of this book is that it talks about um, the difference between epic fantasy and uh, sword and sorcery. Mm. Okay, so this is clearly a sword and sorcery game uh, based on stuff like Conan, right? And uh, the works of H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Jack Vance and, and all those Appendix N hmm. uh, authors that inspired, uh, you know, Gary Gygax and, and, uh, and Arneson. Um, so it's taking a cue from that rather than Tolkien. Right. Tolkien is where you're going to have your epic high fantasy elves. and you're going to have elves and dwarves and all these different different races. Whereas a Conan story, it's all humans. Yeah, it's just humans. And some monsters. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and some and some magic that sort of leans in an evil direction. Right. Uh, that uh, magic is corrupting. Yeah. So they do a fantastic job at the beginning of this book explaining the difference between epic fantasy and swords and sorcery. It's worth a read just for that introduction Mm. that really lays it out um and so what's interesting then is a sword and sorcery game which is what this is is just humans and so the races are all different uh human cultures and the human cultures are based on ancient cultures that really existed like the greeks and romans and moors Mm. but also on mythical cultures that i don't think existed like Atlantis, right? That's a different podcast. Atlanteans, right. (laughs) (laughs) No conspiracy theories. But, you know, so there you go. Uh, It's interesting. Yeah. It's also interesting because race as treated in this book has no uh, crunch value. Yeah, that's just a customization fluff piece. Yep. Like, oh, hey, this is what I want to look like. This is basically my background. Easy peasy. Just for role playing. Yeah. It doesn't change your stats in any way. You don't need certain stats to be from a particular human background or human culture. Um, And so that to me is interesting. Mm -hmm. You would, you know, if you wanted to play a, a Conan type sword and sorcery game where it was just humans, um, this is uh this, this is, is it. this is it, right? This is how you would one of the ways you want to try it. The other thing I like is let's say that doesn't sound appealing to you. Mm. You don't want to uh you don't like that it's uh that these human cultures are or what are called races in this book. Well then you can also just say, well, I'm not going to use that and I'm just human. Yeah. Boop, done. <laughs> That's it. They call it your your common Sure. Right, you're you're just an ordinary human. You're not going to get involved in the in the backgrounds and stories and fluff 
of an ancient civilization, um, and you don't have to. So I like that that customization is included here. If you want to do that, you can, and if you don't want anything to do with it, you don't have to. It also makes for an interesting like one-shot or campaign where you're trying to um, play as a group of like people. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you think about a D and D group, and you sort of look at them. Uh, there are all sorts of races. There's like lizard people and mm-hmm. gnomes and, and things. And it can be kind of hard for people if they want to relate to a character to relate to a character because they're not half dragon. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so if you have a campaign that's all humans, it, c- it could hit a little harder, uh, a little closer to home, too. Yeah, cool. So at the end of the day, that's the good, the bad and the interesting with Hyperborea. <laughs> um, I think this is a this is a game that if you enjoy uh, fantasy role playing it does offer something different, mm. right? It does offer something uh, that's distinct. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's worth taking a look at. Yep. Um, I don't know that it's something that we're going to bring to the table necessarily, but um, I'd, I'd like to play it. I think, I, I think I'd sign up for a, a game or two at a convention. Yeah, at a convention, I'd definitely try it. Yeah. And I'm glad that, like I said, I'm glad to have it in the collection, uh, really, because I think I'm going to steal some of those classes, or at least some of those ideas. Uh, they, they split like there's a there's a sort of huntress type person and mm-hmm. a ranger type person. So yeah. Two different and distinct sort of ranger types. Uh, there's like berserkers and different fighters like cavalry. And there's there's so many yeah, awesome the, the things. Ramped up barbarian. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like. So many right. awesome things going on with the subclasses in this book that are just fantastic. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, from Northwind Games, uh, Hyperborea just came out. Check it out. All right. So this has been every edition of the Tabletop RPG Talk Show. Thanks a lot. Uh, we uh, Hopefully, if you're a new player, you uh, learned something. Yeah. And if you're a veteran player, you found something to disagree with. Uh, <laughs> there's, always something. <laughs> there's always something to disagree with. But either way, uh, drop a comment. Help spread the word. We are on the march. Uh, headed towards trying to hit 1,000 subs. Uh, we got a ways to go, mm. but we're still less than a year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, at the time of this recording, we just had our first episode hit uh, 300 views. Mm. Big uh, milestones. Uh, we're about to hit 1,000 followers on Twitter. Um about to hit 500 on Facebook like there's there's momentum and it's because of mm. all of you so thank you it may not seem like such a big deal with so many YouTube channels having tens of thousands of subscribers but uh, companies and people really look at these numbers when they're trying to see if it's worth their time uh, being interviewed or anything like that so this type of stuff helps us get them in front of you in the future uh, so far, our interviewees have been super gracious and mm-hmm. super willing to come on, on camera and talk with us about their games that they're making. And I hope that that trend continues. But the road to 1,000 is really where we start seeing some big jumps in, uh, in names in the industry. Yeah, and it starts with you listening right now, subscribing. So mm-hmm. if you haven't already, please uh, like and subscribe, leave a comment, and thanks a lot. Thanks for watching. This has been Every Edition, the Tabletop RPG Talk Show. Contact us by emailing everyeditionrpg at gmail.com, and we may feature you in a future episode. Special thanks to the Elkars for providing all the music you hear on the show. Check out the Elkars album Bad Ends to hear all the songs featured in their entirety. Thanks for listening, and remember, it's not the edition you play, it's how you roll the dice. Mm.